turn together now to the prophecy of Isaiah, to chapter number 6, and we can read at the beginning of the chapter, Isaiah 6 and at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and so on. Much has happened in the past fortnight in the life of our nation. And in the light of all that has happened and all that took place with regard to the Queen's passing and the Queen's funeral, A.N. Wilson, writing in The Spectator, said this, While pouring forth tributes to Her Majesty, many of them well-deserved, we allowed ourselves to forget the sad truth about us and about Britain. It was the perfect example of how we have been using royal worship, royal gossip and royal mania as a drug to blot out the truth about what has happened to Britain in her reign. That's quite a telling statement. We can look back to 1952 and we can think of what has happened to our nation in every way, but especially spiritually in that time. Tonight I want us to keep that at the back of our minds. And last week we saw from Psalm 2 the the importance of God's new king. And to look at what happens in this chapter and to help ourselves to remember and to raise our awareness once more as to where we are at personally and nationally and see the way in which we need God to bless us in the way that he does so from his word. And when we come to this point in in this prophecy, a lot has been said in previous chapters. There's a real national crisis in chapter number one because the people have forgotten their God and rebelled against him. There's the real promise of, of something new happening in chapter number four. There is going to be a reversal of everything that has happened to restore the glory of God amongst his people. And we read in chapter 5 the, the, all of the ways in which the judgment of God is hanging over this people. It's round the corner. In a symbolic way, it is, it is as if God is ready to press the destruct button and judge this people and wipe their memory off the face of the earth. Then we come to this chapter, a chapter that speaks into that chaos and into that darkness and into that rebellion. And in looking at that, this chapter this evening, we want to think of the promised dawn of a new era. And that, of course, in the context of the darkness of the times. I want to think, first of all, of the perspective. And we see, first of all, that there is a human perspective. And it's a human king perspective. And it's stark as we begin to read this great chapter that it begins with the fact that King Uzziah died. In 740 BC, this great king in Israel died. He became king when he was 
16 years of age. And at the very beginning of his life, and for most of his life, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He is somebody who set himself to seek God. And so as we read these, the, the, the history of this man in First and Second Chronicles 26, we see the way because of that, the way in which God prospered with him personally and the way in which the nation grew economically, politically, internationally. There was great prosperity in the country because of the reign of this great king. And that is marked on the minds and the memories of the people of God over whom he reigned. But then, as is often the case, there was a period of decline. He grew proud in his heart. He started doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And he did something that God told him he should never do. So he went into the temple of God and he burnt incense in the house of God. And the alarm bells went out with the priest because the king was doing something he should never do. And they went in and they warned him at what he was doing and trying to drag him out of the temple from the danger of what he was doing. And in that moment, God struck him with leprosy. And he was a leper until the days of his death, isolated from God and from everyone else. Someone who started off so well, who prospered and God prospered with him. But at the end of his day, it was decline and decay. So that when we read at the beginning of this chapter that that's what happened, we want to see that what happened with this king is also what happened with the people. There's a community, a national aspect to the personal thing that happened to the king. And what happened to him is exactly what happened to the nation. They started off well. They entered the promised land and was downhill from then onwards. And here they are in this moment of crisis in the days of Isaiah. And can we not tonight think the same of our own lives personally, but the life of our nation? The decline from the greatness of a nation that feared God, concerning whom it was true that righteousness exalts a nation, and that the fear of God was before our eyes. And we, we arrived on, on the day on which the, the Queen passed away, and we were at perhaps our lowest point spiritually in the history of our nation, having turned away from God and establishing a society that's completely focused on uh, the inner self that we are and focused on allowing us to, to be what we are and to do what we want and to abandon God and to shut him out of the whole of society. They were at a low ebb. There was a national crisis and God was ready to hand them over and perhaps we should wonder 
if God is at that very same point with the United Kingdom because of where we have taken ourselves and because we are open to his judgment. The perspective of the human king. But then against that, we have the perspective of God's king. We have the perspective of the heavenly order. And here is Isaiah, sent by God to, to speak the word of God to this people. And seeing the way in which the judgment of God is surrounding this nation. And on this year of great darkness, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. And the name that I see I use it here, that I saw the Lord. It's not the Lord in the sense of, of Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the Lord Adonai. And that name means that God is the God who is in control of the whole of the created order. He is the God who has purposed and planned and who is able to carry out all of his purposes. And so we have a failed King Uzziah who let himself down and who let this nation down. And now we have the Lord sitting upon his throne and he has complete control and is able to carry out everything that he has purposed to do. He is sitting on his throne. And from that throne, he is doing two things. He is reigning for his people and he is sitting in order to judge. That's what the throne stands for. The Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, elevated above every kind of human reign or rule, so exalted that he is beyond everything else. And there we find, according to John in the Gospel and John chapter 12, that when the words of Isaiah later on in this chapter are quoted, this Isaiah said, when he saw his glory. Who is this king of glory? Who is this Lord who sits upon his throne? According to the New Testament, it is the Lord Jesus, it is King Jesus, the king that we saw in Psalm number 2. And he is sitting reigning for his people. He is sitting ready to be judged. And, and we see in, in chapter 52 of this prophecy itself at verse 13, that he is the one who is high and lifted up, who will act wisely. Who do we see on this throne? Who did Isaiah see? He saw the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of glory, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And, and from there, and because of, of his great glory, his presence was such that it filled the whole of the temple as the train of his robe filled the temple. It was a heavenly presence. It was a glorious presence. It was a divine presence. And as God came down on Mount Sinai 
in the glory of the, the whiteness of the fire that spoke of his character and of his being. So here, Isaiah sees the same thing, the heavenly perspective. And tonight, as we reflect on, on, on where we are and where we are going, personally and nationally, here is where we need to come to, to see the glory of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to see the way in which his glory fills the whole of creation. The whole earth is full of his glory. And to understand from his glorious presence that here is where we must come to. Whoever is in government, whoever is reigning in, in, in the royal household, whoever it is, that we have to come to see the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God. To get there. Of course, it's God that brings us there. It's the God concerning whom we have turned our backs upon him and rebelled against him. It is that God alone who can show us his glory. If there is going to be the dawning of a new era, it's going to commence here, seeing the glory of God, the perspective. Secondly, we have a proclamation. And there is a double proclamation in the scene of glory. We have, first of all, a proclamation from the seraphim. Above them stood the seraphim. They are throne attendants. If we want to know how to behave ourselves in the presence of the glory of this king, we do want to observe what the seraphim are doing. And we see that they had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Standing around the throne. Covering the face in a sense of showing the, the, the humility and the fact that we cannot gaze at the glory of God. There is that covering of face because no one has seen my glory any time and lived, says God. There is the, the sense of too he covered his feet. There, 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 there is a movement and there is the, the, the readiness to, to go as commanded. But the feet have to go in accordance with what the king says and the feet should not take the seraphim where the seraphim should not be. They are standing on their feet with their faces covered and with two he flew, attending the throne, switched on dynamically so that at the beckoning of the king, the seraphim are, are, are ready to go out and do the king's bidding. If it is salvation, it is salvation. If it is judgment, it is judgment. They are ready to go out 
to do the king's bidding. And for them, one called to another. We don't know how many were here. The seraphim is in the plural. We don't know how many were here, but one called to the other, to the others. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That holiness that speaks of the character of God. That holiness that speaks of the distance between God and human beings. That holiness that speaks of the way in which the God who is holy cannot look upon sin. The holiness which speaks of the way in which this God and this King, giving expression to his holiness, will go out to destroy that which is contrary to his own nature. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He is that being that is distinct from every other. And the seraphim themselves, it is as if they're they're a step back from the throne because they recognize that the king is high and lifted up, that the, the king is separate from them, and that they are but creatures who are at his service. And when they sing that song and make that proclamation, the whole earth is full of his glory. And I say, as listening to this, from amongst a people who are sinful and who are dark and who, who are calling upon God, and when they do so, they are doing it with their lips and not with their hearts. They are a people separate from God. And when the seraphim make this proclamation about the holiness of God, they are saying that the whole earth is full of his glory. And when we connect these two things together. The glory is the shining of the holiness of the being of God. And so all that God is in his character and in his being fills the whole of the earth, every corner of the universe. The glory, the holiness of God and the glory of God is evident and is working. And we know that in the New Testament, that, that Paul reminds us in Romans, Romans chapter 1, that when God created the, the universe, that his glory and his power and his Godhood is evident from the works of creation themselves. They are clearly seen, says Paul, so that we are without excuse. And so we look around us and we see the glory of God and his power and his divine nature in the beauty of the creation around us. The whole earth is full of his glory. Where Isaiah was and where we are. But I suggest also that the whole earth is full of his glory because he is reigning in every part of it. And whether we see that reign or not, his glory is there, reigning from his heavenly throne in every corner of this world, 
however far the people of this world may be far from him. And what news that is for Isaiah, that in his dark day in Jerusalem, the glory which is the holiness of God is shining in this place. It's shining in the darkness and the people cannot see it. God has not changed. His glory is in his covenant and his commitment to this people. God has not changed. And Isaiah must remember that the glory of God, which is the shining of his holiness, is around the city, is around the nation. And we tonight ourselves, personally and nationally, come face to face with this truth. And we do so with trembling and we do so with rejoicing. Because God is here. Because God is in Buckingham Palace. Because God is in the Westminster Parliament. God is in, in the Edinburgh Parliament. God is in the Northern Ireland Assembly. God is in, in the Welsh Assembly. The glory of God is in our nation and most of our people cannot see that God is here. And that awakens us to the sense of the imminence of the judgment of God when the masses live life independent of God, running away from the God from which they can never run away. The whole earth is full of his glory a great truth, a reminder to us of the kind of God that we are worshipping, the kind of God that we are seeking to serve, and sadly the kind of God that so many are excluding from life at every level of society. The proclamation of the seraphim. Let's hear what they have to say. But there is also another proclamation. And the proclamation comes from the prophet. And the proclamation that comes from the prophet highlights the problem of this people and his own personal situation. In verse number five, woe is me. The seraphim are rejoicing in the glory and holiness of God. But Isaiah simply cannot praise God because he is silenced by what he sees. And what he sees forces him into a place where all he can do is give an expression of despair. What a contrast! But the very thing that is of encouragement becomes the very thing that causes a person to go into despair. And that despair, because of the, the interaction between sinful Isaiah and the holy God whose glory shines. I am lost. It's the idea not just of being 
lost, but it's the idea of being, being destroyed, so violently overwhelmed by what he sees in this revelation that he is about to die because of the crushing, pressing of the glory of God on his inner person and being. And he is so because he recognizes that he is the very opposite to the God that he, that he sees, recognizes that he is not fit to be in the presence of that God, and understands deeply that he cannot praise this God. I dwell, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, the personal issue is a communal, it's a national issue. King Uzziah represented the nation from prosperity to decline to being under God's judgment. Isaiah represents the nation also in its sinfulness, in the sense of the, the judgment of God and the sense of the realization of condemnation and even self-condemnation because who can stand in the presence of the glorious holiness of this holy God? And tonight, you and I must come to that very same place. There is no dawning of a new era until we come face to face with the reality of the era in which we are found. Come face to face with our sin against God come face to face with our sin because of his holy nature that, that shines into our darkness and that comes with that pushing, condemning, destructive power of the holiness and the glory of God. And nationally, we must do the same. We must come to embrace our sin. We must come face to face with it in the presence of God and to acknowledge before God that the judgment that is about to come upon us because of our sin is a judgment that we deserve. We are so different to what God wants us to be. We are so sinful in our nature and in our habits that we need to come to acknowledge that before God and see it in the light of who God is. The proclamation. What is your own proclamation? What is the proclamation of our people? Do we acknowledge our sin before this holy God? Are we ready to come to the place where a new era of blessing will begin. The proclamation, what we think of the glory of God, who is here, who is there, as well as in the glories of heaven. And thirdly, 
there is a provision. The provision from which the new era will dawn. And in the midst of the, the calamity that, that, that has come upon Isaiah, there is a connection between what's happening at God's throne and Isaiah in the midst of, of his self-condemnation. And we see the, the seraphim, who are the messengers, the attendants, who are flying around the throne, ready to, to go at, at the king's bidding, we see that they are sent to Isaiah. Will it be judgment or will it be something unexpected? And it is something entirely unexpected. Having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. It's the image that comes to us from the place of sacrifice. And I want us to think of that place of sacrifice and, and to, to recognize these two distinct aspects of it. There is, first of all, the altar of burnt offering where the sacrifice is given, which brings about atonement, which covers the people's sin, which satisfies the wrath of God. There is the altar of burnt offering. From that altar... The fire is taken and placed on the altar of incense, which is thankfulness to God that God has accepted the sacrifice that brings about the reconciliation and the redemption. And so here that the seraphim, they're coming with a burning coal from the altar of incense, from that place where God is reconciled to his people where he has worked out redemption and the means of reconciliation. And we take that into chapter 53 and we see at the servant that he made a soul an offering for sin. We take it into the New Testament and we see that the Son of God has come into the world to die on Calvary's cross and that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And all of this movement around the heavenly throne is based upon the truth about the person who sits on the throne. We saw that John tells us that the Lord sits upon the throne, the heavenly king is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And so the only answer to the crisis facing this people is that the heavenly king will in a symbolic way descend from his throne and come into our world of darkness and of sin and of judgment and that this heavenly king will undertake to bear our sins, to die for our sins with the promise that God will raise him up again. And so this vision that Isaiah sees here, we follow it through in his prophecy, and that's what happens. He is the king who becomes the servant, who becomes the sin offering, who becomes the anointed conqueror, who is back on God's throne. The provision of God. 
We need tonight to, to see as we face the throne of God this marvel, this mystery, this great miracle, this thing that never entered into the heart of anyone, that God's Son, the Heavenly King, would descend into our world, not only to see things the way that we see them and to experience them the way that we see them, but to bring about great change. And when I see the coal coming from the altar, I see the grace of God, the salvation of God. I see it coming from heaven towards this, this poor sinner that he is now, the presence of, of the, the glory of God. There is that great movement. And he touched my mouth and said, touched him, for he was more conscious of his sin, unclean lips, a people of unclean lips. This has touched your lips. Another proclamation that comes from the seraphim at the throne of God. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The burden of guilt that left you crying out, Woe is me, I'm being crushed and destroyed, I, I am lost. Your guilt is taken away. What great news for Isaiah. What great news for this nation of covenant people. That there was a means through which their guilt would be taken and their sin atoned for. Their sin covered so that God's wrath is turned away and God is at peace with them. The provision. How we need tonight to come in this new era, the experience of our nation, to come to the place where we see ourselves at God's throne and then come to experience the, the dynamic energy and movement from the throne of God coming into our world personally, coming into our world nationally, coming to bring about change, to touch people in their hearts, their minds, in their choosing to take away sin, to forgive sin, and to bring about this new era that Isaiah goes on to speak of later on as the new heavens and the new earth and all of its glory, the stepping stone to a life that's lived in the fear of God. And what a blessing it would be for us tonight if we came to that place that we would not forget the sad truth about us and about Britain or the United Kingdom, but that we'll remember it from the Word of God, that we remember the glory of God is here and its judgment or salvation, and that we will pray that, that God would move in this way 
to remove our guilt, to cover our sin, and to restore us personally and nationally to be a people who fear God, who see his glory in everyday life, who live in the fear of his name, and to walk with that fear in our hearts, deciding always to do the things that are pleasing to him and that reflect that we are indeed the children of God first, and then the children of our nation second. May God help us to discover that dawning of a new era in our everyday lives and find joy in the revelation of the glory of God. May God bless his word. Let us pray. It's gracious God, we do bow before you and we ask you to help us. We ask you to have mercy upon us. We ask you to help us to repent of our sin and to confess them before you. And help us to come to that place where we will appreciate and understand the joy of your forgiving love and grace. Oh, bless your word to our hearts. Tonight we do pray. And bless all of our people. And be merciful and restore us and revive us and refresh us and reform us. And make us new for our good and for your glory. Hear our prayer. Accept us. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.